Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Megan. For years, we were stuck in a rut, always complaining that nothing ever changed for us. And then we realized, if we wanted to improve our lives, we had to put in the work. Each week on this podcast, we'll get into an aspect of personal growth, relationships, or just life. Through our own experiences and guest interviews, we hope to inspire you to make your own positive changes. Welcome Welcome to to the the Fools in Love Podcast. Podcast. Hey guys, today we're excited to welcome Dr. Scott Lear to the Fools in Love podcast. Scott is the founding pastor of Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina, where he serves as the lead pastor with the responsibilities of being the primary teacher and vision caster. Southbridge is a church that exists with a simple mission of connecting people to Jesus for life change. Scott is husband to Shanna and the father of four girls. Scott, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. So before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about your story and what even led you to start a church at all? Yeah, I mean, just the short version of that is I grew up in a a home in Michigan where we weren't really religious at all. Um, I remember asking my mom one time, what are we? And she said Christian, which I think she meant more like we were Americans. So therefore, we weren't um, some other ethnic-based religion. And uh, didn't really even have interest in God until I was uh, coming to the end of my high school career and started asking questions about the meaning of life. And then had somebody sit down and share with me about how Jesus had died for my sins. And I thought that was incredible and figured that meant everybody was okay. But then he shared with me, he said, you got to place your faith in what he's done for you. Stop trusting in yourself, your own works, and then he's going to take over your life. And I I still struggle sometimes with control issues, but I had I was I was that was a big deal for me back then. And I said, I didn't want somebody else being in charge of my life said I wasn't going to trust Christ as my Savior. He said he was going to pray I was miserable until I either decided to commit my life to Jesus or walk away from God. And uh, I ended up trusting Christ as my Savior and ended up going to a Christian school, even though I said I wouldn't. God's sense of humor. I went there to find a Christian wife, which God gave me before I got there. (laughs) Um, And then I said, all right, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I'm not going to be pastoring a church. The first church I ever went to had gone through a split. Uh, they were arguing about some things that are really silly if I put them out in the context. I'm sure they were really important to those people at that time. And I just didn't like the church. I love Jesus. And I thought I'd be a businessman for Jesus or something. And God ended up calling me to pastor a church. And then I said, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, but not Raleigh, North Carolina. We have relatives that live there. And they called me to plant a church in Raleigh. And so um, here we are. And our, our goal in Raleigh was we thought because so many people move here and, and then leave here, whether it's because of the universities or job transfers, that it was a natural mission sending agency and a strategic spot, not just to reach the city, but to reach the world. And so we started Southbridge in 2007 in a movie theater and um, just God did a work in changing people's lives. And that mission that you mentioned, uh, just connecting people to Jesus for life change has been our focus ever since. And God keeps doing it, keeps changing people's lives. And so I get the blessing to, to lead our church through that process. Yeah, I love that, Scott. And I, I love, I always love hearing your story, which is why we wanted to kind of lead off with that. But it's just amazing how all throughout you kind of, you kind of fought back a little bit, but always God had his hand on you and was leading you. And you were open to kind of taking that call, you know, and to, to follow along even begrudgingly at times, but it still got you to the place that you are today. So it's just amazing to hear your story. Yeah. God is gracious for sure. And faithful. Even when I'm, uh, even when I'm resisting or, or I think I know better than he does, he's, he's, he's got a way to work everything out for his, with his ultimate plan in place. 
Absolutely. So today we wanted to get into it because we're living in some crazy times and (laughs) we wanted to talk about what people do and how they react when bad things seem to happen in the world. And obviously right now we're trying to cope with this coronavirus pandemic and it always seems that when crisis hits, there's just kind of this thing where we're we're waffling. We we don't really know what to do. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the differences we should see as Christians versus a non-Christian when things are kind of going crazy like they are with this coronavirus right now. Yeah, I think that it kind of comes down to a lot of times, you know, philosophers, different people will talk about worldview, how you look at everything, how you look at life as a whole. And, you know, for a non-Christian versus a Christian, some, and, and that I'm going to even let's clarify those terms a little bit because they're so loose in our community. Like I said, even growing up, our family, we thought we were Christian just because we were American. There's kind of a cultural Christianity. Like I believe in God and I believe Jesus died and uh, on the cross for our sins. And that doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Demons believe that in the Bible. And so I'll, say, I'll just say the difference between somebody who's following Christ and somebody who's not. We'll just clarify that. Well, the people that are following Christ ultimately look in that life through a lens that's a different lens than people who are not. So people who are not are getting their information from the world, the circumstances. There might be some core beliefs they have that they hold true to, the value of family. They're not all bad things, but they're just different than what a follower of Jesus would have. And so a follower of Jesus is looking at life when they're being faithful and following Christ through the lens of the cross continually. And so the cross, you know, where Jesus died for our sins, a lot of people simplify that and they say, well, it's just, it's just about our salvation. And it's true. At the cross, Jesus was our substitute for our sins. He was dying in our place and taking on the wrath of God. And we're receiving the righteousness of Jesus at the cross. But when you start viewing life through the lens of the cross, you start seeing all the nuances of what's taking place there too. And so you get into a situation like we're in with this virus and whatever news channel you watch, you know, Fox, MSNBC, ABC, um, CNN, whatever it is, um, they're presenting all this stuff that's going on in the world. And it's terrible, whether it's, you know, Italy or New York or whatever hometowns people are in that are even listening, our hometown here in Raleigh. But what you see when you look at it through the cross is, you know, that God's ultimately in control because he took the worst event in human history. So we've got, you know, we'll look at this and this is crazy. Like we've never experienced anything like this. Um, I'm old enough. I know y'all are old enough to remember 9-11, how that changed the world. We keep hearing people talk about, you know, 1918 and, all, all the people that died then. And, but if you just go throughout history, there's always been something, whether it's World War One, Two, nuclear bombs, and all kinds of stuff that's taking place. Death's around all the time. And it's a dangerous world in the sense of if you're going to look at circumstances, it's constantly fear-ridden. But when you look at all the d- tragedies and deaths and difficulties that happen through the lens of the cross, you know that God takes the worst event in human history, the murder of his son, and does the greatest thing that can possibly ever happen and provides salvation for mankind. And so God's working in this when darkness covers the earth and there's the earth shakes and Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all the darkness, you know, next week's Holy Week and coming to Good Friday. A lot of people will be talking about the, the darkness of, we call it Good Friday. It's kind of an ironic title, but it was a terrible day, the day that it happened because Jesus was dying and he didn't do anything wrong. And so you look at that from a circumstantial perspective and you look at it from a human perspective and it seems terrible, but God was working behind the scenes. And then we know what happens, you know, Easter Sunday coming up, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, he's resurrected. God does the greatest possible thing through that circumstance. 
and Jesus rising. He had a plan the whole time. He was still sovereignly in control on Friday. But when people didn't know it at the moment, it was, you know, you healed others, but can't you heal yourself? You saved others, why can't you save yourself? And so as a Christian, you look at it with that perspective through the cross, your salvation, how God's worked sovereignly throughout history. We know this is not the end. Like as Christians, Christians are going to die in this virus. The same, you know, the numbers are terrible right now. The projections I was hearing last night, I haven't watched the news today. You know, 100,000 to 200,000 people in the United States. And I don't know if that's, I hope that's not true. But it is 100% sure that 100,000 of those 100,000 are going to die somehow if it's not from the virus. Uh, 200,000, how many people it is, all of us that are, are going to die somehow. It's cancer, car accident. A lot of us in a bad way are going to die. Some of us will die of old age. But as a follower of Jesus, you view it all different because you know this isn't the end. And so that ultimately changes. You, you realize, you know, what we talk about at Easter Sunday again, the resurrection. Jesus has victory over death. And for someone who, whatever other beliefs you have, when you look at life, death is the end. Like it's the ultimate kind of, if you're an atheist and you just believe nothing else happens, um, if you're somebody that has a religion that's based on your own works and you're hopeful, it's pretty fearful. But it's like, did I do enough good works or not enough good works to whatever good thing we happen? Or there's kind of the cultural Christianity. We just all end up in heaven idea. They were a good person. They're in a better place. The angel got their wings. It's all just made up beliefs is the problem. And so there's some hope that they have, but it's empty hope. And the hope that we have based on facts of the resurrection of Jesus is that he's defeated death. And so the way we look at it should be, I mean, the worst thing that can possibly happen to us is we're going to die. But then that ends up being the greatest thing because we get to go be with Jesus. And so it should totally change the way that we view these things. And also you get, I mean, as you get into the scriptures more, you start seeing there's nothing bad that happens in any of our lives that hasn't passed through the hands of God. So Job, uh, you know, if you ever read the book of Job, Job chapter one, I always say the problem with Job is he never read his own book because what happens in Job chapter one is Job's this righteous guy. He's not being punished for sin. There's a spiritual battle taking place that he can't see over his life. And what happens in Job chapter one is God kind of pulls the curtain back and lets us see what's happening in heaven, the unseen world, the conversation between he and Satan about Job. And Satan's unable to do anything to Job that hasn't passed through God's permission. But Job doesn't see that. Job's just living his life. And in one day, all of his kids die and he loses his businesses and everything's destroyed. So if you're just looking at circumstances, you're, you're going, where is God? Does God matter? Does he even exist? Um, but Job, being a follower of God's, realizes God's the one who gave me those gifts. God has the right to take those away, and he's going to be faithful to them in the good times and the bad times. So I think what you see is those that are genuine followers of Christ respond differently because of the hope that they have. And hope doesn't become just an empty word or a made-up thought because we can't deal with reality. So, yeah, that'd be my Probably not a short answer, but <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I love your reminder too that God is always in control. And I think that, you know, Christians, followers of Jesus, a lot of times tend to forget that when these types of things happen and it's just a hard thing to keep your mind on. At least for me, I don't know if that's the same for everybody, but it feels like it's hard to I gotta really work to remember that. Right. And then I was talking to somebody else on a on a with Southridge doing a podcast the other day and we were talking about that the statement that a lot of Christians are saying right now, the faith and fear. Hey, faith, not fear. Um, I think like uh, one of the news places that I watch that are, they're putting out continually facts, not fear. And that's fine. But what is the, what are the facts? And then if you're a Christian, what is your faith in? I think the object of your faith becomes so important there. And then also we oftentimes make fear a bad thing. It's not like we're supposed to fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. 
The problem is we get so fearful of our circumstances and that's a lack of faith. And so that's where it becomes sin and problematic. And I think that's where it gets down to, like you said, God's always in control. He's in control of every circumstance. And sometimes I think we act like, oh, God, were you not paying attention? Like, how did this virus happen? Mm-hmm. And then we can get into this conversation about, like, did God cause it? Who's responsible? Why did it happen? And all those conversations that are happening. But here's what we can all agree on for sure, regardless of your your background on theology and denominations and all that stuff, is that God wasn't surprised by any of this. It's not like it was like, you know, Satan threw a curveball and he didn't know what to Now he's up in heaven trying to figure out how to fix this, and he can't. The reality of the question is that we need to be wrestling with our God has allowed this to happen and he, he has the ability to cure it and stop it. And he hasn't. So what does that mean for me? Like we can ask why, like what, but if you knew the answer, is that really going to change anything? But you, you need, you must ask, I think as a follower, as not a follower of Jesus, like wherever you're at in the spectrum, why is this happening in my life? Like what am I supposed to be doing about this and my response to him? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, that's, that's, that was honestly led us to the next thing we were even going to ask, because I know so many people out there as Christians, you often get the question when, when bad things happen, Mm. like you said, it could be anything along the spectrum. It could be an illness. It could be, you know, a, a natural disaster. It could be something like this virus. And you always get the question, like, why, why would a God who is, is, is good allow something like this to happen? And it's almost like you're pointing the finger at God in that moment, even though a lot of the other times, you know, when things are going well, God can almost be forgotten. But in those moments, we're almost like looking to God, like, why, God, why would you do this? And how would you answer, answer that? Because like, that's the, that seems to be the question for Christians around the world when things like this happen. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a big question. And so some of it matters. Like if you look at how Jesus interacts with people, it matters who's asking the question. And so I know your listeners are probably a diverse group of folks, some people Christians, some people not Christians, some people followers of Jesus, not followers of Jesus, some people that are, you know, had different bad circumstances, maybe a divorce, maybe a job loss, maybe various things have happened in their life. And then you get to the question of, you know, first of all, it depends on how you phrase it, right? Like you said it in, the, I just said the why does bad stuff happen? And you said, if God's good, why does this happen? And so then you get into the question of, well, is God good? Like, I believe he is, and I believe the Bible teaches he is, and so I'm not, I'm not questioning myself, but as a listener, you got to ask yourself, is God good, and what does it mean to be good? And is your definition of good and his definition of good the same? Because we know in Isaiah it says that his ways are so far apart from our ways. They're, it's, you know, as far as the heavens are from the earth are his ways. Not, so he's at a different level, and so I'm, I'm 43 years old, and I'll have questions sometimes, and sometimes I arrogantly ask them to him, as if he's never thought of them, as if me as a 43, he's infinite, right? He's eternal. He's existed since before there was time. And here I am, I'm going to come as 43 year old Scott thinking I know something that he doesn't thought about or hasn't fit, you know? And and so sometimes we come to him with our definitions of what things like goodness are or justice are or, or any of that kind of stuff and think, well, you certainly, you should measure up to my standard. And one of the things we need to ask ourselves in that question is what does he say about goodness? What does it look like for him to be good? And what we, as a follower of Jesus, you explored some of those things and you walk with Jesus probably for some amount of time and have a knowledge of the scripture and you're filtering life through the cross. You start looking at it. It doesn't mean everything's always going to be comfortable. And when, there's simple ways to illustrate it. Like, I don't know how many of your listeners are parents, but I assume a good percentage of them are. But you don't give your kids everything they want. And your ultimate goal is not their comfort. Like you want them to be 
you know, regardless of your, you know, beliefs on God, you want them to be, you know, independent uh, kids at some, you know, adults at some point that can take care of themselves and work jobs and read and do various things. But they don't necessarily want to learn how to read. They don't necessarily want to pick up their toys. They don't necessarily want to be responsible. And so you got to teach them. And sometimes that means bringing things into their life that they don't want, but it's ultimately for their good. And so I think as followers of Jesus, what we see is that. But when you get to that big, broad question, like why, why does bad stuff happen? You know, I don't know how long this podcast is supposed to go, but that's complicated because <laughs> we got to be careful not to give people trite answers. Like I know as Christians, we're kind of stereotyped in the media of, you know, bumper stickers and pithy statements and memes and t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. But when you look at the scriptures and the way that God handles that and Jesus handles that, it's complicated. And so I mentioned Job. So Job's was going on because there was a spiritual battle around his life that he didn't even know anything about. And then his friends say stuff to him that there's like elements of truth in what they say in some circumstances. The problem is they're speaking without knowledge. They don't know what God's doing and they're trying to speak like they do. And so I want to be really careful, like with this virus to not say, here's what I think God's doing when I don't know. But I know when I look at scripture, he's doing various things in different circumstances. So you take like, there's a story in John chapter nine, in the gospel of John chapter nine, where there's a guy who's been born blind and his, his disciples, Jesus followers say, was it his sin or his parents? Sin? They just assume they know that it's because of sin that he's got this problem in his life. And then Jesus says, it's not about sin at all. It was so that God could be glorified. Now things are, there's a general truth that this world is broken and all the things that aren't right are because of sin. But they were saying it like they were, he was being punished. And Jesus goes, that, no, that's not what's happening. They didn't know. But now God had a plan in it, and God had a good plan in it, even though they had been blind for a long time, and that was painful and difficult. And ultimately, was he was going to be healed, which is an illustration that Jesus was the light of the world, and he was going to point people to himself so that through that man's one life, he was going to bring a bunch of people to God. But you look at other stories, and you, you got like John 11, which is the passage I'm planning on preaching for Easter. And Lazarus dying was God's plan. And it looks like in the passage, like God's forsaken people that he loves. And he says multiple, you know, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and he loved them, but he waited and he delayed and he didn't come and fix their problem. And ultimately he was going to show them something greater than if he had just healed the disease. But what was happening in that situation, different than the John chapter nine situation, Job situation, different. There's another story. If anyone wanted to read it, just looking up in their Bible in Luke chapter 13, where Jesus is talking about a, a natural tragedy or a, a national uh, tragedy that had taken place where this tower had fallen on some people. And Jesus uses it to say, were these people more sinful than other people? And the, the implied answer is no. And then he uses another, you know, talks about this tower falling and he says, he points it to the people that are listening instead of talking to the, about the people who died. He goes, you're all going to perish. You need to repent. And so that's where I get to that, that thought, what I was saying, I think in the last question of what we need to be asking is what is God wanting to do in, our, in my life right now? And one of the things I have been thinking a lot about just for our church, our city, our country is in this time, I know that like healthcare workers are working tons of hours and police officers, first responder, you know, they're, they're calling them the essential workers, different people that are doing these essential jobs. So I don't want to, I'm not ignoring that. But for a lot of us, life has slowed down. Things have changed even if we're working and doing zoom meetings all day and all that kind of stuff, there's still, it's, it's different. And I think a lot of people are starting to think about what really matters in life. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if people made some significant decisions to change in their lives in different ways as a result of all this. But I think for, it would be a tragedy if we missed the idea of being able to refocus on God and to recalibrate our hearts towards him. And even to look through our own lives and see what are the things that are there that God doesn't want. And, and specifically sin. And, you know, sin is not, you know, sin a lot of times we think about it as just this like naughty stuff that you do. So don't steal, don't lie, don't murder. But sin in the Bible is when we start seeing, like we think we know what's best. When we start doing going down that route, and that's that misses God's perfect standard is the way that sin's defined in the Bible. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden when they ate the fruit. They, were, they thought they knew better than God. And so the Bible says that what we're supposed to do is turn from that and turn back to him. Um, kind of Christian word for it is repentance. You turn away from the, the sin and turn back towards God. And I think that's what needs to happen in all of our lives. How that happens and what the details of that are, are going to be unique to every every individual person. But if we miss the opportunity to refocus on him and and return to him, then I think we've really missed some of the blessing in the in the midst of this tragedy. Well, so why why does it happen? I can't give you a simple I mean the, the simple answer is this isn't our home as a follower of Jesus. Like this is not this world is messed up. It's broken and so there is sin and there is pain and there is sorrow and there are tears. And we know that in the book of Revelation it talks about the heaven's not gonna be like that. There's gonna be no sorrow, no tears, no crying, no pain. And this points us to another place. But I think that's an overly simple answer for exactly what's God doing in this. I think it's layered and it's based on the individual of what he's doing in your life. And yeah. some people are gonna die. Some people the ones who don't die from this virus are still going to die. So I'm going to preach Lazarus 11 or John 11 on Easter. Lazarus gets raised from the dead, but here's the reality. Lazarus still dies. We don't get that story in the Bible, but he, he, he raised back to life here on earth. He dies again. So we all got to figure out what are, what are we going to do here and now about what's going to happen then? Exactly though. I mean, it's a, you know, that's a really honest answer for a really complicated question. So thanks for answering that one. You had mentioned, practicing social distancing. And you also said something about in your answer that you were talking about how we don't give kids everything that they want. And I was giggling to myself because I'm thinking, well, right now we sure are. <laughs> I don't know if you're experiencing <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm like, well, usually. <laughs> there may or not, may not be people on this podcast that aren't you that have let their kids eat ice cream for lunch. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand what you're saying. I hear you. Okay. So speaking of that social distancing though, how are we able to love our neighbors while we're stuck in our homes and while we're stuck, you know, not seeing the people we normally see and not serving the people we normally serve. Yeah. Well, I think, you you know, you get into some of that. I'm sure some of your viewers have seen too, you know, some churches have not done that and have gotten in trouble and things along those lines. I'm certainly not endorsing that. I think you get into a spot as a Christian where, you know, we're told to obey our government officials. And if they're not, they're telling us not to, the things they're telling us to do aren't contrary to our faith. In fact, they're, I think they're complimentary. It was not an easy decision for us the first Sunday that we knew we weren't going to have a, a, an in-person gathering and we were going to go online with our services at Southbridge. But you have to think about what's in the best interest of the, the people around you. And so, you know, if I'm right now in this situation, I don't want you, I want to hug people. I like people. I'm an extrovert, like all that. But if you come to me and hug me, I'm thinking, what are you doing? You know, like, do you not care about my health? Are you you're not noticing what's happening in our world? And so trying to stop the spread of this virus is a role and responsibility we have as Christians. But then two, I mean, you go to, you know, what we oftentimes call the golden rule, which, you know, Jesus has told, told us the greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor. And then one of the ways it's expressed is you do to other people what you'd want them to do to you. So we're going to love our neighbors. I mean, we're doing some things as a church, like a food drive right now. 
because we know there's kids in our community that when they don't go to school, they don't get food. Uh, I think last week we gave over a thousand pounds of food away, uh, try and feed some of those families. There's pra- there's things like that you can probably do through organizations. Uh, our church, if you want to drop off food at our church, if you live in the Triangle area, you can be a part of that. But wherever you live, I think you got to ask yourself the question, do I know my neighbors? Because if I'm going to do for them what I would want done, I'd need to know what if I, what would it, what's it like to live in their situation? So, you know, your listener might be just say, just making up a random listener, 35 year old um, mother of two, and she lives next door to a 60 year old lady. That 60 year old lady probably has different needs and desires than the 35 year old mother of two. And so you got to, do I know her well enough to even know what she would want? And then if I were living in her situation, what would I want done for me? I gave a silly illustration in a sermon. It's silly before this crisis. It might not seem silly now. I said, what if you all started giving out random rolls of toilet paper to people? Just write a little note on them. You know, whether you want to invite them to your church or just say a nice encouraging word or I was just thinking of you, here's a roll of toilet paper. Um, <laughs> it seems ridiculous, right? Like if I put a roll of toilet paper two months ago on your front porch, Brandon, you'd probably be like, what is you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> weird. But now because of the, you know, that stuff's like gold. Uh, <laughs> your neighbors might think, might think it's great, but you got to know them to know, you know, do they want, a gift card from a restaurant for takeout or do they not trust the cooks are cleaning their hands? You know, you just gotta, you gotta know that person a little bit to be able to love them. But I think that it would be a tragedy for us as followers of Jesus to go into a totally defensive posture right now and not realize that in times of tragedy like this, historically Christianity has thrived. And so this is an opportunity for us. You know, we have second uh, Timothy one seven. We're not given a spirit of fear, but a power. And if we're given a spirit of power, then we should be bold and being willing to step out. I'm not saying to do something foolish, like don't put your neighbor's health at, in danger as a result, but to step out and care for people in, in this process. So, yes, we should stay home. And, yes, we should take the precautions that we're being told, you know, social six-foot rule, like all that kind of stuff. But um, I think there's outreach opportunities that, that are probably unique right now. And I think your neighbors are probably more receptive now than they've maybe ever been. Right. And I mean, we were talking even about just amongst us, even about like technology and how we really, it's almost like it, it almost is its own evil sometimes. Like people point to technology as being something that's bad, but right now more than ever, don't you appreciate technology a little bit more because you're able to reach out and connect with people. Like you said, you can have a church service online. You can call and zoom call with someone who you haven't seen in a long time and you can still be keeping that distance. But We've challenged people just to reach out to people that you know, even, and just connect with them. People that you haven't connected with in a long time, because the reality is none of us ever know how much time we have left. So if you have that opportunity and that time to reach out to others, why not take advantage of that right now? Yeah. And I think that you've got so many people, I was just encouraging somebody yesterday to say, they were asking about reconciling some relationships. And I said, it's such an easy segue right now because so many people are reflect, like I was talking about refocusing. Obviously, I want us to refocus on the Lord, but you refocus on life as a whole. And some of us have some relationships where it might not even be, it might be a serious issue that, that caused the problem, but it might not be. And what an easy segue right now, like like just saying, and I don't, there's nothing to my knowledge between you and I, Brandon, but if you, you and I had a problem, how much easier would it be for me to call you up right now and go, hey, with everything in the world going crazy right now, I've just had some time to reflect. Now I'm thinking about our relationship and, and then I can fill in the blank with, 
whatever went sideways and then how I want us to go forward and apology that I might need to make or all that kind of stuff now. And I think people are just more receptive to that. One, there's a hunger for relationships because of this. And then two, something I've been thinking about, and maybe it's my age and I was kind of at the, I didn't have the internet when I was a little kid. And then it kind of became popular. I think I was in high school, college. I remember going to college and having to have the guy in the room next door, show me how to log into my computer. That's how little I knew about it. (laughs) And, um, and so there's a tendency, I think, for a certain demographic, and I might be at the, you know, the, the, the beginning of it, where it was like, yeah, FaceTime's fine, but it's not a real interaction. And I think right now we're training people that it is. Like, it's not the same as a hug and a handshake, but it's a real social interaction. Like, the internet's not evil. It's used for evil, like, but it's, it's, it's amoral. And we can use it for good, or we can use it for evil. But you and I talking right now is really a social interaction. It's not just a, a task that's getting checked off the list here. Like we're really talking to each other. You're really a human living a real life on the other end of this line. And, and I'm really a human on the other end of this line who's, you know, apparently feeding us kids ice cream. But yeah. <laughs> um, there, it's a real social interaction. And we, we got to be able to use it and redeem it. Right, right. Well, we mentioned a little bit earlier too that you had four daughters, which is a probably a whole podcast in and of itself. But <laughs> but we have a two and a five year old, and so they really don't totally understand what's going on. And we've tried to explain it, but I was just wondering how you've talked to your girls about what's going on in the world right now, and what conversations you've had recently with them regarding yeah. all of this. I would say that is a whole other conversation and we're actually planning on doing just to plug it for you. Um, you, you and your wife, as you're thinking through parenting these kids and your, and your kids might even tune in too, but we're going to do a, a video probably next week and pop it up on our church website of me talking with a local counselor just about that very thing. Somebody who specializes in age and stage stuff and knows how, you know, just to communicate some of those things. But I'll tell you what I've done just as a father, not even as a pastor or claiming to be some parental expert, but when it first came, you know, all this has happened so fast. I can't remember how long it was now, but when it all kind of was going, schools were getting canceled, the world was changing, birthday parties weren't able to happen. Like, I think we went uh, gatherings of 100, then to 50, then to 10. We just went out on the back deck. And I said, girls, what are your questions? What do you want to know? And I, I think that helped. You know, it's kind of like having the talk about sex with your kids, which is not like one talk. It's a conversation uh, in that. And you don't want to over communicate to them, like right, like the five year old. They don't. They're not, it's not the same questions they have as a fifteen year old, and so, but you don't want to hide stuff from them to where they don't trust you, and they think that you maybe you don't know or, <laughs> or something. So I think that letting them ask questions was a good part for us to see kind of where their hearts were at, what were their anxieties, because they're they're grieving, and we're, you know even if they're wow, I don't have to do a bunch of schoolwork, I get to play outside all. Like there's a fun part to it as a kid, right? And there's not the responsibility, but but they see the world's different today than it was before. And is it going to go back and what's it going to be like? And what am I, what about the things I am losing? So maybe your kid has a birthday, like so many kids have had, you know, and you see these online virtual birthday parties, or we just skipped it this year. And how do you talk to them about that? What does that look like? And why I think that you're talking to them about keeping them safe. And then they're going to wonder how in danger am I? And if somebody gets it, like my kids ask questions like, so if you get it, are you going to die? And so we had to answer some of those questions just from the medical, you know, information that we have and talking through that there are people that are going to die, but just because you get it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to die because people have recovered. And so 
yeah, I think letting them ask the question, not lead the conversation because you're the, you're the parent and you would know more than they do, but letting them ask that you have an idea of where their hearts are at and what level of information they, they can handle. It's kind of in the way that we've, we've talked about it and we haven't tried to hide it or shy away from it or pretend it's not reality or any of those kinds of things, but we're also not trying, you know, we're not plopping them down in front of the news and going, Hey, watch this for a while with me. <laughs> so, you know, you're not trying to create anxiety, but at the same time you want to address the anxiety that's there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not that I'm a parenting expert, but I think that's a smart way to approach it. Yeah. What have y'all done? Just curious. You know, so f- well, obviously our two-year-old has, doesn't have a thing <laughs> yeah. in the world other than he doesn't have to go to daycare and he gets to stay home with grandma. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but well, our, like Christmas vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, our five-year-old has, has had a few questions and mostly I think sadness for her right now that she can't really see her friends and she knows she has her birthday coming up like you were talking about and that will be different. So really, we're just kind of going through that with her. She hasn't asked a whole lot of questions, mm-hmm. like about anybody dying or anything, but just kind of, you know, talking her down through some of those hard things, like not getting her birthday and, you know, that we're going to try to make it as fun as we can and all those things. But so far, we just haven't had that. I think she's a little bit on the young side, maybe. Okay. So I don't know. We haven't had any big, do- big bullets to dodge yet. Yeah. Oh, my friend, I know that some of the things he's going to say in the video, he shared with me in bullet point versions already. And some of it's like giving them structure because right now, you know, all their structure has been taken away in the sense of like, I know some parents have told me my kids want to go back to school. And I said, oh, really? Like they did love learning. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> they, <just> like, <laughs> they like the structure of that. And it kind of gives them some stability. And I think one of the things that have been raw, obviously birthday parties and like there's personal stuff, but there's also just that structure has been taken away from them. And so it doesn't have to be the same structure. I'm not saying everybody needs to, you know, homeschool from, you know, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. or whatever the school day was for them. But they probably need some things that they can count on that are regular, that gives them some, just some stability in life. And so that could just be, here's how we're doing lunch. Here's what, you know, I'm going to read, whatever things you decide are the things in your home. But giving them some like kind of almost handles to grab a hold of in the structure. Yeah, not a bad idea for any of us, really. I mean, I'm I'm holding on to my structure as best I can, too. And that seems to help even as an adult, too. For sure. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on today. I mean, we really appreciate your perspective. We appreciate your time. And if people want to get connected with you, how how can they find you? Uh, Well, our church website has our information on sfchurch.com. It's Southbridge Fellowship, so sfchurch.com. Um, is on there. But if they want to just email the office, even they can email info at sfchurch.com. And that'll get to me. That's probably easier than giving my initials and name and all that kind of business. But S-L-E-H-R at sfchurch.com. We'll get there as well. But info at sfchurch.com. If they want to ask me any questions, I'm also on Facebook, uh, Twitter. So Scott Lear, L-E-H-R, if they want to direct message me or reach out in that way, I'd love love to connect. Sounds great. Thank you so much for being here, Scott. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. See y'all. Hey, B, what did you think of that episode? I think it was pretty dang good. Well, what should someone do if they enjoyed these last 30 minutes? They should probably head over and leave us a review so we can reach more people. They definitely should. Guys, if you like the Fools in Love podcast, please go follow us over on Instagram at Fools in Love podcast. We'd love to connect with you and learn more about what you'd like to hear. 